Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey guys, it's Titus. Welcome back to the show. Before we get this episode started, I just wanted to give you guys a word from our partners. Yukonuba, 3020 Dog Food, the best out there, legit, awesome, chondroitin, glucosamine, everything you need to keep your dog in shape, and I promise you, it'll keep his teeth clean, It will. it's great for their hair coat, and the weight, and everything else, it'll give you the supplements that you need for your dog, I, I, I would swear by it, I'm just telling you right now, it's the best out there, so guys, check Yukonuba out, they're great, Old Town is where it's at, guys, if you want a kayak-canoe hybrid, something that has the potential of both and can do both features for you. I want to tell you Old Town's where it's at, guys. Check them out. They're the best out there. We're so glad to be partnering with them. We can't wait to put out the content for you guys with their stuff. I'm just telling you, the seats are comfortable. It's got the armrest. It's got room for all kinds of accessories. Everything about it is just so legit. You can take a dog, your dog in the back. It's perfect setup for that. It's got shell holders. You name it, it's there, and it also crosses over for a fishing setup. So get the best of both worlds. Check out Old Town. Guys, before we get rolling on this, I do want to bring this up. We got a Facebook page that we would love for you to join. It's the MVM Show podcast group on Facebook. Guys, please join it. Check it out. Comment Write a post. Put something interesting on there. Participate in it. We really look forward to seeing what you guys want to hear about. We want to see what you guys got going on in your world. If you want to put pictures up there of your hunts and you guys got questions, comments about podcasts, stick it up there, guys. We would love to hear it and to ba basically just build a relationship with you guys on there. So go check it out. The MVM Show podcast group on Facebook. Also, if you don't mind, guys, if you can give us a, a rating review on iTunes, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please go on there. Tell us what you think about the show. Rate it. Review it. Helps us out. We really appreciate it. So now on to the podcast, guys, we have Hank Shaw. I can't tell you how many times that it felt like 
my mind and Thomas's mind was blown during this podcast. It was such a privilege and honor to have him on there. And I want to tell you, before you know it, the hour is going to be up and you're like, why did you guys cut this podcast off? Well, as we all well know, people have lives, people have families, they got to attend to and stuff like that. So we had to cut it off somewhere. Trust me, I didn't want to. He's definitely going to be back. If you have never cooked duck, I want to tell you right now, the man is the man. <laughs> He's a legend. And you buy this book slash recipe. It's not just a recipe book. Duck, duck, goose. I would not be shouting this out and putting this on here. I'm not trying to sell you nothing. He has not asked me to do this. He doesn't know I'm doing this. And I'm not getting no cut or something weird like that, guys. I'm just telling you, go on Amazon, buy this book. I literally can't put it down because it's not only recipes, but it's details, facts, history of ducks, period. And as we know, our main niche in this podcast is waterfowl. I'm telling you, you will love it. And you're going to see a lot of it coming from us using his stuff on our channel, Mid Valley Mercenaries on YouTube cooking this. I can't wait. I've never been so excited about eating duck and cooking duck in my life. So without further ado, I'm going to quit yakking and let you listen to what you came here for. And that is Hank Shaw. Enjoy guys. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Titus with my co-host Thomas. And today we got a guest that I am super stoked to bring you guys. The big thing is guys out there is it feels like nobody knows how to cook duck. I know I don't know how to cook duck and also all the history of duck. And today we got a guest for you that knows all those things and is very well known about it. We got Hank Shaw today. And he is author of the book Hunt, Gather, Cook. He's also um, wrote the cookbook uh, Duck, Duck, Goose and some other ones. I'm going to let him get into that. He's also um, been a blogger and it's, it's so much details. I'll put it down in the show notes for you guys. Um, he's been known for the best blog award in 2013. He's also been on Travel Channel's Bizarre Foods, which is was a really cool episode. I've seen that. Field and Stream, um, Delta uh, Delta Waterfowl, California Waterfowl, Pheasants Forever, all kinds of good stuff. So without further ado, guys, I want to introduce you to Hank Shaw, a California native. How you doing, Hank? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm We're, we're glad to have you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I mean, you know, Central Valley duck hunters, you know, it's got to stick together, you know. Amen. <laughs> we were talking before uh, this. we started this episode, and it's like, yep, I could tell. Couldn't you tell, like, he's just a California guy the Absolutely. way. We, we really, it's honestly, <clears throat> having podcasts with other guests and stuff, we love it from all parts of the country and stuff. But it's, it's I guess we got a different way we talk, and that's what we've been told. And we have a hard time, like, almost knowing when someone's done talking because their speech is so much slower. So we end up riding <laughs> over people and we feel bad for that. But it's just, I guess it's just the lingo of California. Well, I mean, I'm also born and raised in New Jersey. So we're, uh, oh, so wow. we can definitely, uh, we up. can definitely outspeak people and, uh, <laughs> we can definitely get, uh, we can definitely get down and dirty if we need to. Yeah. There's something I wanted to say really quick. Just when Titus told me that we were going to be doing the podcast tonight, you know, I started just, looking stuff up. I was stalking you on the internet. <laughs> uh, but what's funny is, man, I know you're what, 49, 49 years yep. old? 
And you've been getting around because just in a couple of little things I was looking up, I saw you were from New Jersey. You moved to Long Island, Wisconsin, Virginia, Minnesota, California. Like, you're moving around, man. Yeah, I used to be a newspaper reporter, and I used to cover uh, state politics. So I used to work in the capitals of whatever city or, wow. or state I worked in. And so what brought me to California in 2004 was uh, I, I was I came here to – I took a job to cover Governor Schwarzenegger, of all things. <laughs> wow. The governator. The governor. <laughs> but Which was a- fun. You know, I mean, he tried, he tried his best, you know. <laughs> but nice I, I just thought it, it was funny because uh, – what was that? We have a friend in uh, the town you were in in uh, Wisconsin. Oh, in uh, Madison. Madison. We were there actually last two year. year last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were there. I, I actually thought it was really nice there. Yeah. Well, it's a hell of a town. I mean, they call it the Mad City for a reason. It's where the not only is it the capital, but it's also the uh, the home of the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. Which uh, I, w- I went to graduate school there. So go Badgers. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, uh, that north part of uh, Wisconsin should probably sh- have some of those people get mad at me for even saying that, but that is like a hidden gem. My goodness. Oh, I mean, you want to talk about grouse hunting. It's oh, some really? of the best grouse hunting in the entire world. Really? really? Yeah. What kind of grouse? Rough grouse. Huh. Oh, okay. It's gorgeous up there. It is. Oh, I don't, and we're not getting too like specific towns just because, but. Um, what about Sheboygan? <laughs> I've been to Sheboygan. <laughs> up here by the thing, you know, Sheboygan, they make their own rats. Yeah, they're white, they're, they're white rats up there. <laughs> I couldn't help but say that word about oh. 20 dozen times oh. as we were driving Sheboygan. through. Sheboygan. <laughs> oh, man, oh, that's my funny. Goodness. Well, uh, Hank, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I guarantee you I didn't touch, scratch the service. Kind of just growing up, like you said, New Jersey. I didn't know that. Kind of just tell mm-hmm. us about yourself till now. Yeah, well, it's, so when it comes to duck hunting, um, so I, I didn't actually start hunting until I was 32. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been fishing and, and foraging my whole life, but I didn't pick up uh, hunting at all until I moved to Minnesota. And then in Minnesota, I didn't really do a lot of duck hunting. I was mostly upland and you know, a couple deer. And then I moved out to California, like I said, in 04, and I very quickly learned that, yeah, we got quail here, but we don't really have any pheasants and, you know, not very many cottontail rabbits. So I started asking around. Everyone's like, dude, you got to you gotta hunt ducks here. I mean, it's crazy. So I actually taught myself how to duck hunt by just going to Gray Lodge. And just and for everybody listening here, sorry if you were if I walked in on your blind in, in 2004. <laughs> I apologize. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Now I do. It's all better. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, we've gone from, you know, I've gone from hunting sporadically, not knowing what I was doing to, boy, I mean, a couple, a couple, two, three years ago, I, I, mean, I think I spent 30 days in the marsh. Um, and I'm always, a lot. yeah, I'm always hunting at least 15, 20 times during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, not just only in California, but all over, like I'll be teal hunting in Texas in about a week and a half. Oh, awesome. uh, and then I'm going to be crane hunting in November in Oklahoma and, and I'm at, I'm going to be chasing whistling ducks in Brownsville, Texas in the, in the last week of the season. So I, I chase, chase the birds all over the country and even in Canada. That sounds like um, a blast. No kidding. Professionally. I mean, I think the, the core of what I do is the website hunter, angler, gardener, cook. And okay. that's, I started that as huntgathercook.com. Okay. And I started that in 2007. So in November, it'll be 12 full years of doing that website. And it's been quite the ride. 
Wow. And you, uh, do you feel like you're going to settle down here in California now that you're in Sacramento? Is, is this going to be the place you're going to call home for the rest of your life or what? Well, I mean, I've been here since 04. Um, and I, I love the state. Uh, I do have some issues with the state government. Um, yeah, no kidding. And I mean, I think the only thing that would bounce me out of the state is if the, is if the state legislature passes laws that make it impossible for me to do my job. Yeah. But well, I don't want to leave. Well, okay, then. You know what? That That's actually something I never thought about talking about on this. But explain to us, since you were, were not born and raised here, and, you know, constantly people are telling us they're just their easy route out of dealing with all the stupid laws in California is, you guys just need to get out. You need to get out. But you're someone that's come from somewhere else. Why have you not got out of here? Because you know how it is at other places and that it's better. So what keeps you here? Well, I mean, I'm sitting here on a porch. Surrounded by my wine grapes, I'm growing corn and tomatoes and chili peppers, and there's a hummingbird sitting next to me. And you know, I can walk down the street to the supermarket and buy good tequila. And I mean, there's a lot of good things about this state. I mean, the weather is good, the people are good. I mean, really, everything is good about this state except for the traffic in the state legislature. <laughs> so, yeah, that's absolutely the truth. true. You know, you've got a kind of a yin and yang thing going on. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You, I mean, there are so many different aspects to California that that's so amazing. It's kind of hard to. Let's just take it into duck hunting for a second. Yeah, so yeah. A, a long time ago, uh, we decided to do a mallard tasting. So we had shot a whole bunch of mallards from a whole bunch of different parts of California. And so we had one from the grasslands where you guys hunt. Uh, we had one from the Sierra Nevada foothills. We had one from uh, Klamath. We had one from the rice fields and we had run from the Delta. So I cooked them all with a skin on, cooked a medium rare just with salt and pepper. That's it. And I sliced them real thin. And then I knew which one was which. But we had a whole bunch of people over, and we gave them little cards. And the, each of the breasts was numbered. And so we asked them, to, you know, which one did you like the best? And sure enough, the grasslands mallard won. Oh, really? And uh, the, the acorn-eating Sierra Nevada um, mallard was second, and then the rice mallard was the third. Everyone said that the Delta Mallard, the one uh, that was eating corn, was it was fine, but it was the most boring. So, I mean, even within California duck hunting, you have an amazing diversity of, of experiences and species. And, I mean, think about it. I mean, think about if you're if you're listening to this and you hunt the Salton Sea or you hunt the Colorado River or you hunt, you know, Klamath or Ash Creek or, this, or the North Coast. I mean, what if you hunt like Humboldt Bay where all the – it's the only place in California where you can, you, you can reliably shoot redheads. And it's, it's just a really, you could spend an entire lifetime going all over California and experience different kinds of just waterfowling. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it's, and it's so fun to experience different settings like that. You know, I think a lot of people get stuck in, this is where I go. This is where I've went for years. And, you know, and that's great. Like you, it seems like, you know, you have a home and it's, that's kind of, kind of special in your heart. Mm-hmm. But there's so many different things to experience, even with just waterfowl hunting alone. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. So and it's important to have that spot, too. Like you guys hunt the grasslands. I can hunt the refuges in the valley. And so it's important to be good at that thing because guess what? When you start to do this, like travel all over or go to different places, a lot of people are going to put themselves out for you and try to help them out, you know, and try to give you a good hunt. And the fact that you have a spot near your home that's what you can give back to them 
when they come to you to you to hunt. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, mixing it up is really probably the way to go. Right now, I got a quick question for you. You were talking about the taste testing with mallards. <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people talk about. Oh, I got my I got my rice pintail today. You know, they taste the best. How in the world did a mallard from the grasslands score higher in taste than a than a rice mallard? So the thing of this is it's hard to guess. It's hard to fully. Uh, this is just a guess. So here's the, here's what I think. A rice-eating mallard in the Sac Valley is going to be super fat, and but it primarily is eating rice, and so it's going to have a, a certain flavor to it. Just like the the Delta mallard that was primarily eating corn had a certain flavor to it. The thing about a grasslands duck is most of those ducks are eating natural forage, so they're eating a lot of different things, and I think that just made them more interesting tasting. Mm, like a variety of of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, you, Man, there's no one predominant thing in the diet. Now, by the way, you can shoot a mallard in, say, you know, San Francisco Bay, and you you need to skin that thing just like a sea duck because chances are he's been eating clams or dead fish or tadpoles or some kind of other gross stuff. Mallards eat anything. <laughs> yeah. Anything. So, like, you know, you can have bad mallards. You can't have bad pintail. Really? Yeah, because they only eat seeds. Huh. You can have skinny pintail, but you can't. I mean, I've never had a, a, an icky tasting pintail. Let me say something, guys, to let everybody know. I, I mentioned it, but if you guys want to cook duck, now I've never, ever been this excited about cooking duck as I have this year because I've, I've cooked it wrong. Basically, there's I read not through a ton his book. out there on it. There's, there's not really. And honestly, reading through Hank Shaw's book, guys, you got to get it. Duck, duck, goose. I'll put the link in. In this uh, show notes for this, I'm telling you guys, or go on Amazon, Duck, Duck, Goose by Hank Shaw. I'm I'm only 50 pages into this, and I don't know, it's probably 200, about 200 pages or so. And I've never been so pumped to cook duck in all my life because I'm always just like making basically pepper sticks out of it. And, and seeing the way that he's saying to cook this, talking about the duck fat and all this stuff, you guys definitely need to go put pick this book up. I'm telling you, your mouth will be drooling. And uh, it's, I appreciate that. You know, what's been cool is the, is that writing that book was really interesting because unlike deer, so I wrote an entire book about venison called buck, buck moose, which just, I like funny names. Um, but the thing about all the upland, you know, the deer and elk and antelope and all that kind of stuff is the bottom line is they're more or less the same. There are a little different. So you can hear somebody listening. It's like, Oh, elk is from deer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little different, but it's mm-hmm. not as different as say, a spoonie versus a wood duck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you were to pluck a spoonie and pluck a wood duck and put them right next to each other, they would look pretty similar because they're about the same size. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, you're going to want to eat that wood duck and not the spoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Except, I mean, here's that, and then let me give an exception to my own rule. I've shot what we call them white spoons because occasionally, see a spoonie, he's set up to eat algae. That's why he's got that big filter on his face. Mm-hmm. You know, the big old spoon bill. He filters algae. That's kind of what he does. And, and so he does it best in Klamath. The Klamath spoonies are the stinkiest spoonies I've ever encountered. Now, if you get him in the, in the rice fields, however, he's going to say, hey, man, everybody else is eating rice. I'm going to eat some rice. And, and so he gets white fat, just like the pintail. And so you can roast him just like a wood duck. But that almost never happens anywhere else. Really? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's so like here's another good example. Gadwall. I've had Gadwall in the grasslands, and they're terrible. They're, they call them Gagwall. I read that. Stink. Yeah, I read that. And they, Gadwall in the, in the Sacramento Valley are one of my favorite ducks. So it's basically just different foods are affecting the each different variety of ducks different. Exactly. You have so diet changes their flavor and so because ducks are omnivores. So here's a good another good one. So think about ruddy ducks versus buffalo heads. Mm-hmm. Two little tiny divers we neither of us really get too excited about right. shooting. Right. No. So the exception though is I know this is true at Yolo and I know this is true at Delavan, two California refuges. But if you shoot ruddies on both of those places, pick them. They're going to be fantastic. Really? Why and is that? And it's it's I don't know exactly what's going on with ruddies in those two spaces. It's just that area, it, what they're eating. It's it could be, but in general, here's a here's the thing: ruddies, eighty percent of their diet is plant matter, but a buffalo head, same size, more or less, eighty percent of his diet is animal matter. So buffalo head is always going to be stinkier than a, a ruddy duck, mm-hmm. no matter where you get. Even when in those areas that you were just saying? Even in those areas, yeah. Okay, it's, so it's, something you said in your book, then, I'm, this is where I'm curious, you you just brought it up a second ago, was talking about versus skinning them with cooking them with, mm-hmm. the, with the skin on. Are you kind of saying that if you skin everything, it's, it's going to taste close to the same? Yes, that's exactly what I'm really? saying. Really? We've done that taste test, too. So I put a surf scoter, a canvas back, a mallard, and uh, I think the other one was a, I think it was a widgeon. So I had skin breasts on all of them, and I cooked them all medium rare, and then cut a, a uh, like a cube out of each breast, because everybody else, you know, you could tell, if I showed you those next to each other, you right. might be able to tell because of the size. I didn't want anybody to be able to tell that. So they're basically squares of the exact same size, cooked to the exact same temperature, and I just salt. And I think I had lemon too, because I've got lemon trees in my backyard. Another good reason to live in California. So, <laughs> so, so it was basically salt, pepper, lemon, and then medium rare red meat, and nobody could tell the difference. Wow. Mm. I served a, I served people some coot stir fry, skin coot breast and a stir fry. Nobody nobody said boo. <laughs> what? Now now you serve a you know you what. Serve a, I, you if if I ever eat on, anything no you cook, I'm going to make sure I know what it is because I ain't eating no coot. <laughs> well, well Hank, Hank, tell Why us not? about Well, yeah, okay, go, no, seriously, because we're talking about, because to me, I don't know how you feel about this, but we feel like California is literally overrun with coots, like ridiculous. But oh, maybe yeah, 25 maybe not. bird limit. Okay, so that being said, because we were talking about this on the podcast before, like doing a coot shoot one day, which it has the, the situation has to be right because oh yeah, you could totally be distracting to other hunters. It would just you would be hated. But I'm just saying, if the situation was right and you wanted to go zonk 25 coots, yours telling me now they need to be skinned, right? Like what would you yes, say? Yes, they need to be skinned. Here's what. Here's how. So, so right at the beginning of the podcast, I said, yeah, I taught myself how to hunt ducks at, at uh, Gray Lodge. Well. I was a terrible shotgun shot when I started, so I killed a whole lot of coots before I killed ducks. <laughs> so uh, you get good at shooting coots before you can kill mallards, right? So, <laughs> uh, so I, I I learned the hard way that if you if you roast a coot with the skin on, yeah, it, yeah, just don't. Yeah. Just friends don't let friends do that because <laughs> they don't smell fishy; they smell pondy. 
Like, oh. like they smell like the algae at the bottom of a pond. Oh, okay. And it's gross. Is that what they're eating? Yeah, pretty much. Like, like wet green things. Okay. So what do you, and, how do you like cooking them best? Uh, you skin them out. And I have tried six ways to Sunday to make their coot legs taste good. I can't because they're sinewy like a pheasant. And then the fat gets in the leg. And so you just, you get that pony thing with the legs. So I just, I don't leave, I don't eat them. But the breast meat skinned and then the giblets, so the heart and the gizzard, um, are spectacular. And I learned about the gizzards from the Louisiana guys because they call them a pull-do, a water chicken. And so they eat <laughs> beta coots, and really? I learned a lot from those guys. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I do – I do eat, we do a coot shoot well, usually come. once a year, and then we, uh, we put it all in gumbo, make a okay. big old coot gumbo. So that's, that's kind of your favorite way to cook coots? It is. Okay. So I got a question. Um, now let's say you you freeze your birds. Mm-hmm. How does that affect? Does that affect anything, or are you preparing them different, or are you leaving them a certain way in the freezer, or or what? Can you tell us about that? Sure, I vacuum seal pretty much everything, and I've got a good vacuum sealer which will vacuum seal whole birds. Um, okay, so, so you're not ruining you're not ruining it if you just leave. Feathers on the whole bird. Oh whole no, no, no! I always, I always freeze plucked birds plucked or skinned birds. birds. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I don't let my birds in the feather freeze unless I'm going to take them to the taxidermist. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but if you're asking about meat in general, frozen meat once it's thawed out will lose some of its moisture. So, you know, for example, you know, a, a fresh mallard is not going to is going to be better than a thawed out mallard. They're right. still good. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. but That's kind of meat in general, right? Yeah. I mean, like a really good example would be like a canvas back. Like if you were to shoot a canvas back, eat that canvas back. Don't freeze the canvas back because it's just such a great duck that it's, you just don't want to freeze it because it's just that good. Same thing with like if you can, if you can afford to not freeze speckle belly breasts. I mean, I know you're going to have to freeze some of them because if you shoot a bunch of specks, you, know, uh-huh. you, can't, you can't eat all of them in a week. Um but yeah, I mean, some of the really primo species like wood ducks and pintails and good mallards and specks, they, you know, they're noticeably better fresh than frozen. But that mm. said, don't get me, don't, don't get all hung up. Like I freeze lots of my ducks, so they're, they're fine. Does it it's matter if it's fresh. breasted or if it's a whole duck? It doesn't, it doesn't make matter. a difference. It's always going to lose some moisture. Cause okay. what happens is when you, when you, and here's another, this is a good um, argument to buy a good box freezer, but, if you have a good chest freezer, set it to as cold as it'll go because the faster something freezes, mm. the smaller the ice crystals form in the meat. So that's so the reason it loses moisture is because, as you know, ice is bigger than water. So that's why if you put a beer can in the freezer and, and forget about it, it explodes because ice is bigger than water. So that's the same thing happens to all the water in the meat, right? Mm-hmm. So it ruptures all the cell walls in the meat. So when it thaws, that's what that liquid is coming out in your meat. It's not blood. It's just it's like plasma. Mm-hmm. It's the moisture in the meat is sitting now in the bottom of the, either in the vacuum seal bag or in the bottom of the, the tray that you put it in. However, if you freeze something really, really fast, those ice crystals are smaller and you have less moisture loss. I think this almost needs to be asked again. Um, now I've I've seen and heard a lot of people say, you know, get your get your uh kill 
frozen and cold as fast as you possibly can, and that helps with taste. Now, does, uh, what do you feel really. about that? Let me walk you through. <laughs> this is in the book, by the way, too. So frozen is absolutely not true. Like, in fact, we will, we will keep birds in the fridge for a week or more. Um, refrigerated is very true. So what I think what they're talking about and what they mean is that, you know, if you're on opening day, right? So October 20 or, you know, whenever the opening day is that year, it's usually pretty hot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the birds are insulated. So mm-hmm. you want to get your birds cool as possible. So if I'm in the duck blind and it's warm out, I mean, it's still the morning. So, I mean, mm-hmm. unless you're doing an afternoon hunt, it's still going to be pretty cool. You just lay them next to each other and don't stack them. Mm-hmm. If you stack your birds, they're going to heat each other up and they're going to not get cool fast enough. And have a cooler with ice in your truck. And if okay. you, that if you don't want to tempt then. the duck gods, if you don't want to tempt the duck gods, don't buy the ice until you're on your way home. Because everybody needs coffee or a beer or a Red Bull or something on, the, on your way out of the refuge. Uh-huh. That's when you buy your ice so that you don't tempt the duck guides with buying ice before you shut down. Yeah. <laughs> Cursing yourself. <laughs> I, I'm, hey, not everyone believes that way, but I'm 100% like that. I totally uh, think you curse yourself doing that kind of stuff. You know? So, yes, ice matters. So there's <laughs> a noticeable difference between getting your birds cold right after you're done versus yes. yeah. Yeah. not being cold, able to until the next day or something. Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, I will off it. Like if, if it's, if, if it's banging, like if we're hunting two, three days in a row, mm-hmm. I'll take day one's birds home and put them in the fridge and then, Plucked. you know, you know, no hole even. Okay. And then, you know, a lot of times I'm turning around on the day two and then, you know, I start to hunt, I start to, to pluck day one's birds maybe on day three and then, you know, mm. three days is your limit. So, okay. And, okay. and, and, and I, I could tell you're not married by by the fact that you put three days worth of birds in your fridge. Oh no! Oh no! You should know that uh, my uh, my wife is Holly oh. Heiser. Oh, okay. And Holly Heiser is the director of communications for the California Waterfowl Association. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. She actually has ducks more than I do. <laughs> oh, that works out perfectly. It does. Yeah. I told my wife, I said, you better be ready, babe, because we're cooking lots of duck this season. I got the, I got Hank Shaw's new cookbook. It's going down. And I so got a trigger, too. my advice for that, if you have a, if a spouse or, or someone who's not super keen on seeing dead ducks in your, in your fridge, mm-hmm. have a second fridge for your beer and ducks. <laughs> Just get one, put one out in the garage, huh? Exactly. It's your garage beer duck freezer. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, go. Let's see here. I want. I want, didn't want to leave this spot yet because I wanted to ask you something about. Oh, let's just say, like you said, it can be super hot on opening day. Let's say if it's um, eighty-five, ninety degrees out, and you're hunting in the afternoon. I mean, how long do you think you got? Do you really? Do you almost need to have your ice chest with you out, like really close to throw them in there after each time? Each time you shoot one. I mean, is it that it's bad? It's not ideal. I mean, it's, it's really not ideal if you're hunting in 80, 90 degrees, mm-hmm. um, you know, keep them in the shade as best you can. And then that's, that might be where I tempt the duck gods and buy ice and have it in the truck. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you know, I'm not going to bring it to the blind. That's crazy. Cause it's just so much weight. Right. Uh, so three hours won't hurt nothing. It's not going to, you're not going to die of poisoning. It's not, it's not going to hurt you. Um, but it's, it's, it's not ideal. Yeah. Right. Yeah, though I hate that that first month of duck season out here in California is just. I really brutal. only hunt the opening week 
That's I'll hunt true. the I'll hunt the first two days and then the Wednesday and then I go and chase upland birds or or go out of state until uh, about Thanksgiving. That's what we're doing this year too. So yeah, helps break it up. Oh, totally. Because I mean, think about it. There are other states where November's that's their top month. You're right. Exactly. It's terrible. So for it works, us. and it works out perfectly just to move around and then come back here in December and then boom, you're ready to go mm-hmm. again. Cool yep. weather and everything. Um, on, on, I guess this could kind of go with this, um, talking about putting them in the fridge or the freezer. Can you tell us a little bit about dry aging ducks? Sure. So dry aging works really well with ducks because they've got, they've got, you know, if you've plucked them, uh, if you've skinned them, it doesn't really work at all. Um, so I do a kind of a style of dry aging. That's not exactly like beef because I don't feel like scraping off mold and ick on the outside. Mm-hmm. But, so, it really does only work. I mean, I suppose you could dry age a giant, like a big Canada breast that was skinned. But you need a big surface area. Okay. Um, because what you're ending, what you're going to do is dry, you're drying the bird out a little bit. So, it's real easy. So let's say you've got a bunch of nice, nice birds that you plucked. And so, skin, all, is, skin has to be on, right? Skin on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's important. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's any real reason to really age uh anything that doesn't have the skin on okay so let's say you got i don't know a couple two three pintails and mallards and just you know anyway good birds yeah and they're picked sit them on a cooling rack in uh on a tray and just sit them in the fridge and let let them sit there for up to a week and what's going to happen is they're going to dry out a little bit it's still cool so there's nothing bad bacteria wise and the skin will look a little mottled, but that goes away when you cook it. Um, what do you mean when you say mottled? Oh, it just, you know how, I mean, you know how pretty a duck looks after you, right after you pluck yeah. it. Well, it's not going to look that pretty after a week in the fridge. Just look a little it, odd, kind of. It'll look a little blotchy. Okay. Um, but the what, why do that? The way you do that is you remove some of the water out of the duck, and it, it concentrates the flavor. So you only do this with good birds. Like you would never want to do this to a to an iffy bird, because okay. if you concentrate bad flavor, it's even worse. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I do this with mallards. I do it with fat wood ducks, with pintails, sometimes with speckle belly geese. I don't really do it with teal so much because teal are just not very big animals. So I might let them sit for a day or three, but mm. not a week. Okay. They always benefit from at least a day or two like that, because then if you're vacuum sealing it. There's less water. So you know how you, when you vacuum seal stuff and sometimes the water sucks through the seal mm-hmm. as you're sealing it, that, yeah. which is terrible. It's just it's you're, you have a bigger chance of breaking the seal in your vac sealed uh, duck at that point. Well, if you do this, if you sit it on that cooling rack for a couple of days in the fridge, it dries out just enough where you don't get that anymore. Mm. Another pro tip, if you're vacuum sealing whole birds, stuff paper towels in the cavity so it doesn't crush the bird as much. Oh, that makes sense. Like really just stuff it kind of tight. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hey, why, does me, that, why does that help so much? I mean, uh, what, what well, does it matter it, if it, if it kind of constricts it? Um, I mean, it's, some of it's aesthetics, but it oh, also okay. there could be blood in the, uh, in the cavity that you missed mm. and that paper towel will prevent it from getting into the back seal. Okay. Oh, so, no. I mean, a couple of times I've done teal, especially, where you vac seal the whole teal and then, oh, there's a bunch of blood in this cavity and just got sucked through. So yeah. if you had paper towels in there, that won't happen. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, now, will duck, like, 
you know how you put stuff in a fridge sometimes and it can take on the flavor of what's in there sometimes? Is that kind yeah. of a concern? So so I have a clean fridge. Okay. Meaning you know, I always have baking soda in the fridge anyway. So and that, that should helps. help. That should yeah, help. Take that away. Yeah, because that would be horrible. You, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what you could have in there that would suck into... Uh, like, I don't know, like Limburger cheese or something gross like that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be terrible. Wait a week long dry age and something, and then it tastes like a stinking pickle or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what was this duck eating? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Hank said, <laughs> Yeah, call him up on the phone. You're a liar. <laughs> so, here's a good tip that, um, just sort of a very basic co- duck cooking tip that I think everybody should know. Everyone cooks the the breasts too much and the legs and wings too little. Yeah, hmm. it's just that's that's the long and short of it. I mean, people tend to think that ducks are birds, and in the kitchen, ducks really aren't birds. In the kitchen, ducks are beef. Hmm. If you treat the breast meat of any duck or goose like a steak, you're in good shape. Really? No, if, if you treat you... the legs like brisket. Slow and low, you're also in good shape. That's a perfect. I'm writing that down. So, how do you how do you go about that if you're if you're leaving the bird whole? Um. So so I do not leave a lot of my birds whole. Okay, that's Um, good to know. So I leave teal whole almost always. Um, you know, really little ones that I play. uh, You know, like I tend to. In fact, um, on my website this month, I'm posting a recipe for grilled teal where I just spatchcock the. I cut the backbones out of them mm. and then flatten them out and then grill them. I do that a lot. So, uh, but I otherwise leave them whole. So little ones I do wood ducks. I tend to leave whole also. Um, but the bigger birds, I'll leave a few whole because they're, you know, sometimes I want a roast duck. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time I'll, I'll have a big bag of legs, big bag of wings and a big bag of breasts. Yeah. And so, and I'll cook them on different days. You know, I'll cook. So, and I can but tell, with the, but with the breast, I, I can tank? feel you guys are like wings. What are you talking about? You know, here's the thing: a duck wing, like especially like a mallard or a pintail. I only do this with big ducks. A duck wing that is braised first, like you cook it in like a crock pot, so it's nice and tender, mm-hmm. and then you roast it with your buffalo sauce is amazing. Hmm. <laughs> We're gonna be it's best amazing. friends. <laughs> Poor Hank. He's like, I should have never gave Super Titus Bowl. my number. He's gonna be bugging me all the time. Uh, okay, I got a question for you, and I almost feel like maybe we jump past this. But you talked about you started hunting at 32, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so where? How did you get from starting to hunt at 32 to basically br- writing books? Becoming a, a a wild game chef, I I, I hope I'm saying the right mm-hmm. term you would like, but you know what I mean. You've you've been you've done quite a bit of things. You've you've written all these books and all that. How how did you get from not hunting to where you are now? I think cooking wise, the, the simple answer is I was a chef before I was a hunter. Okay. Mm. So um, did you go to school, know, Hank? Uh, school of hard knocks. I worked in kitchens. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> There you go. So I never really owned a restaurant, and uh, I was I was a mid level chef, uh, low to mid level chef, and so I learned. How, I mean, I worked in good restaurants, but I was never the executive. But mm-hmm. I know how to cook, and right. I always knew how to cook. And if you go back even farther, 
you know, back when I was a kid, so I'm the last of four kids and there's a seven year gap between me and my, my next oldest sister. And so my parents, my mom and my stepdad really like to eat good food. And so when I was the last kid in the house, they could have finally afford to do it because, you know, you can't take four kids out to a fancy restaurant, you know? So I got to come along at a lot of really good high end restaurants as a, at a very young age. And in that, experience we went to a lot of places where they served game so all the way from the beginning you know talking to me like 10 9 10 11 12 15 years old we're occasionally going to these fancy restaurants and there's venison and there's duck and there's goose and there's squab and there's rabbit and all this stuff so i'd never ever associated game with anything other than something that was really amazing to eat and so when i finally started to get my hands on some flash forward till i'm 30 because for a couple of years before I picked up a gun, my, my best friend would give me ducks and give me venison and pheasants and things, and I would cook them. Uh, I had that head start on what they should taste like, you know, usually through French or Italian, uh, through French or Italian food, and then how to actually cook them before I started actually hunting them myself. And then the second part of that is uh, I've been doing this full time since 2010. Mm. So I've basically been hunting, cooking and fishing and foraging and cooking and writing full time for close to 10 years. So you can learn a lot if you're doing nothing else for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Full time. Wow. Now, um, I, I looked, I, I should have marked it in this book, but I, I'm assuming it's a French name there. It was something part of the gib, is it giblets or giblets? I don't even know the giblets, giblets. It was, I thought it was an organ or something, and you were using an odd name for it, and you said it's like the best thing in a duck. What is it? Do you know what I'm referring to? Uh, it's oh, almost... foie. Foie gras. Yeah. What, how do you say that? Foie. Foie. F-O-I-E. Foie. Yeah, yeah I think it means so. fat liver. So, so a foie is a French word for a liver, and gras means fat or big. So it's basically, yeah, this is a cool little topic, actually, because it's super Californian. Oh, it is. I've never yes. heard of it until I read read in this. So I mean, so that the product itself is is um, it's a farmed product that originated in in Rome actually, two thousand years ago, and or maybe even in Egypt actually. I think there's pictures of Egyptians feeding geese on the in hieroglyphs. So it's it's been done forever. And Th- Thomas's mind's being blown right now. Sorry. <laughs> we're we're okay. just like, how are we going to keep this in an hour? Am right now? I the only one that's never associated ducks with Egyptian hieroglyphics? <laughs> I oh, I got I... a good story for you. I got a good. I gotta, I'll I'll get back to Juan in a second. Our, okay. our minds are getting blown right now. Sorry. Okay, so a buddy of mine is a brand new duck hunter, and he he had a rice blind. He 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 leased a rice blind in Sac Valley. And I get his text from him. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm going to jail. I, I poached, I poached, I shot the wrong, I, I don't know. I'm like, calm down. <laughs> Send me a picture of what you shot. Long story short, this dude whacked three Egyptian geese in the Sacramento no. Valley. What? Yes. He turned himself into the warden thinking he did something wrong. And the warden's like, good on you. <laughs> oh, when, 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 when was this? What year was this? This was maybe 2012. That almost sounds familiar. I think Travis talks about that. Wow. It's crazy. 
What in the and, world? They weren't banded, were they? No, no. They were, he thinks that they, the warden thought that they escaped from some farm. Okay. Wow. Yeah, Still, Egyptian geese. That's crazy. Go figure. No kidding. All right, back crazy. to fat livers. Okay, here we go. <laughs> so, um, so here's the cool thing about waterfowl. A couple other birds do this too, but waterfowl for sure. So you know I like waterfowl migrate, right? So. Yeah. So if I'm a, a duck or a goose and I said, oh, man, I, I live in Alaska. I got to go fly all the way to California. And I mean, imagine that. Imagine that you are flying all the way to California. So they build up as much fat as they can to do this, this journey, right? So sometimes birds can gain 50% of their body weight before they take that flight and then lose it all on the flight. Mm -hmm. So part of that is they can store fat in their liver. And so... The, what real foie gras is, is a very, very overfattened liver. So it doesn't have the texture of liver anymore. It's barely livery. It's just mm. sort of this incredibly rich, amazing thing. When, when well, it's lost the fat, you mean? No, when it has the fat. When it has the fat, okay. Yeah. So, well, our birds do the same thing. It's super cool. So everybody here who's listening to this, think about all of the birds that you have gutted over the years. Every now and again, you're going to pull the liver out of a duck or a goose, and you're going to notice that it's tan. It's like skin color or my skin color as opposed to dark burgundy. Hmm. And almost everybody I know is like, oh, that's a weird liver. It must be sick. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's the golden prize. That is the Willy Wonka golden ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild foie gras. And pintails get it in spades. Like pintails get it all the time. So do uh, so do canvasbacks and wood ducks. And I've seen lots of species of ducks get Wait, it. Wait, say those again. It was three of them you said, right? Primarily pintails, fat widgeon, fat gadwalls, and wood ducks. Okay, keep in mind. And so, but any any duck or goose can have this fat liver. And it's basically you pull this liver out of your out of the duck, and it's it's like ta da, we won, because it's this incredibly light colored tan liver, and it's often oh. bigger than it should be. Well, that's a super fatty liver. Sear that. I have a recipe in the book. Sear that just enough on one side to get it nice and, and like crispy and brown on one side, but don't even flip it. Just pour some, just spoon some fat over the other side to make it opaque and then serve that with a little bit of balsamic and salt and you're welcome. It's <laughs> oh, amazing. Is, it's is, amazing. Do you consider that like the best thing out of a duck? That might be the best thing out of a duck. Wow. It doesn't, I mean, I get, we get about a dozen a year. And we oh, that's it. Yeah, you you won't see. I mean, most duck livers are going to be dark red, and they're fine. You can do other things with them, but not but, that. But those tan ones, those are special. I can't lie. What's the texture like when you bite into it? It's not like a liver texture. Creamy, creamy. It's almost creamy. <laughs> creamy. Yeah, it's crazy. What? Wow. It's, so it is how does their liver? liver how does their liver get like that? Just because they're overeating. Well, apparently a lot of animals can store fat in their liver and it's just, hmm. they're just eating and eating and eating. And then the body needs somewhere to put the fat and they put it underneath the skin as we all know. And then they'll put it around the, the innards and they'll put it around the gizzard. And then, you know, the tail, the Pope's nose, that's where we get most of our duck fat from. Hmm. The tail. Mm-hmm. That tail section. Okay. So, man, I... I... This is, we're gonna have to do like 10 yeah. of these with you, but the, so duck fat, I'm, I'm hearing that that's the most incredible thing since sliced bread. You were kind of saying in your book, it seems like what, how do you, what do you, how are you gathering duck fat? Like what's the parts you're just keeping for duck fat? Is that how you're doing that? 
Yeah. So there, so the, the easy answer, well, the first thing you have to know is you have to do it with good ducks. Okay. So generally mallards, pintails, wood ducks, green wing teal, speckle belly geese, um, snow geese. If you ever find a fat one, it's pretty rare in California. Uh, but fat snow geese are, are always good because they're, they're basically eating grain too. Um, and why are people it, calling them scarp of the, or scarp, carp of the, carp of the, <laughs> yeah. Why are they calling them that then? If, it, if you, um, I think cause they're idiots, that probably would be the easiest answer. So you um, think, so you think our snow geese are good to cook then? Oh yeah. They're not as good as specs. So here's the, here's the downside on a snow goose. Um, in California and it's many other places, they don't carry a lot of fat. So they're skinny. So they tend to have, and then the, when they're skinny, they, there's, their skin turns like a blue color. Mm-hmm. Um, so they look weird when you look at the skin. Mm-hmm. Two, they are the hardest of the three species of goose to pluck. So mm-hmm. if you're going to pluck a snow goose, it's actually a harder deal than plucking a speck or a Canada goose. Mm-hmm. The other, and then, but the real reason why people hate on them, and it's a stupid reason, it's familiarity breeds contempt. With a limit of, I don't know what our limit is now, like 20. Yeah. But there are places that have 25 Mm -hmm. bird limits on snow geese. And everybody puts that in their head, like, oh, if it has that big a limit, it can't be good. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Simply not true. Simply not true. It's no longer special anymore. Yep. Huh. Man, that's that's crazy. There is nothing wrong with a snow goose in the kitchen. What would you compare that to? Uh, like a snow goose compared to what kind of duck? Uh, they're light colored. They tend to be much lighter in color than a lot of ducks. Mm-hmm. So they're very mild. Um, I would put them along the lines of wigeon. They're pretty similar really? to wigeon. Yeah. Wow. You know, they're yeah. not a dark, beefy. They're not really dark and beefy. Like Canada geese can be dark and beefy. Yeah, like more, almost exactly like a steak, right? Yeah. 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 These are tend to be dark. lighter and milder. You know what they're a lot like? Pronghorn antelope. Hmm. I actually haven't tried antelope myself. Yeah, me neither. Unfortunately. But it's similar to that. We're going to be hunting it's soon. A but. Slightly lighter colored meat. So I, from what I understood, and correct me if I'm wrong, from from this Duck Duck Goose um, book slash cookbook, there's – guys, and the thing about this is it's not just uh, recipes. I mean, there's so much back history on birds and stuff, and – awesome super cool like facts and details but like is the biggest thing when i'm pluck obviously let me start over if you got a mallard you got a pintail right away you know i could probably do this whole but yep. now i start pill or plucking the feathers off and now i look at the fat and it has a yellowish color then mm-hmm. you know there could be some issues with the skin right like you really it's look at the color it's probably gonna be okay if it's those if those ducks okay like I've never had a matter. pintail. I've never had a pintail let me down. Okay. I've had mallards let me down, but if you're in the grasslands, you should be fine. Okay. The I've had the only place I've had bad mallards were, was near saltwater. Because mm-hmm. they'll eat anything, like you said. Yeah, I've had boring mallards, but I've never had bad mallards outside of saltwater. Huh. So, but look, but looking at the color of the fat kind of does help a little bit, whether or not. Yeah, you should, I mean, I the biggest way it. to see that is is um is uh, spoonies. So shovelers and sea ducks both have orange fat for the same reason that salmon is orange. Um, it's the so have you ever cooked Dungeness crabs? No. You know, have you ever seen it cooked Dungeness crab? Yeah, yeah. You know how it's orange? It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the, the the pigments in the shells, I mean they're not orange when they're alive, 
So the pigments in the shells of uh, most crustaceans, crab, shrimp, and that sort of thing, turn bright orange when they're heated. And so salmon and spoonies and a lot of sea ducks eat a lot of very tiny crustaceans. So that same pigment turns their their meat, or in the case of the ducks, their fat, bright orange. They're called carotenoids, like uh, like beta carotene that's in carrots. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you see that in salmon, yay. If you see that in spoonies, boo. Because okay. <laughs> you don't want your spoonie to, say, to taste like rotten salmon. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's, that's super interesting. So do you... Do you look down on somebody or think they're lazy if they if for plucking a bird? Because I'm thinking, like, what if we come home and it's late at night? Because t- a lot of times we hunt the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I know you you're... don't have to pluck it that night. Okay, that's true. Yeah, because you're saying just throw it in the fridge, basically. Yeah, just throw it in the fridge and pluck it when you get a chance. And I mean, don't... I've seen people put ducks in the fridge, holing in the feathers for five days before they plucked them and they were just fine. But don't put them in a bag or anything, right? You can put them in a paper bag. But not plastic, like a zip. No, I mean you could put them in a plastic bag once they're good and cold. Oh, okay. So, but the first twelve hours or so while they're getting cold, you don't want to put them in a plastic bag because they'll they'll get sort of still bit condensation. Hmm. So huh. once they're good and cold, then you can put them in a plastic. Bag. So, I guess saying that to come to this point, do you think it's kind of ridiculous when people buy a plucker like a machine? No, not at all. Um. A plucking machine is a it's a machine that requires a degree of skill. However, oh. so you will mess up birds until you get the hang of it with a plucking machine. Okay. Um, just know that. I mean, but but plucking machines are pretty good. I don't have one because I'm pretty good at doing it manually. How fast can you um, pluck one? Like say a mallard. Um, I can get a I can get a limit of birds done, plucked, gutted, and in the fridge in about an hour. Okay, so it's still, t- even with someone that knows what they're doing, it still takes a little bit of time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, with a plucker, you could probably also do it. Like, I think a lot of people could do it in an hour. But yeah, it takes time. And I don't pluck every bird. You know, I don't pluck spoons. I don't pluck most of my divers. I don't, and don't, definitely don't pluck sea ducks. Mm-hmm. Like, if I shot a bunch of Canada geese, I might pluck one, maybe two, but I'm not going to pluck 10 Canada geese. It's crazy. If you I sh- will pluck 10 specks, though, because specks are special. <laughs> not you won't even. What about uh, two limits of mallards? You not, you won't necessarily pluck all those. I might because yeah. I'm just so used to plucking mallards. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's like if you you just make choices that are good for you. You know, so let's say you whacked four or five of those fourteen mallards, right? And they're pretty heavily shot. Skin those guys. Mm-hmm. But if you've got if you've just nicked three or four of them, those are the ones you're going to want to pluck because they're going to be nice mm-hmm. and clean and pretty looking. So do you got some tips for somebody without, I've seen the wax method, but man, that looks like that's a lot of, I don't know. Do you think that's the best way to pluck Wax them? method's the way to go. It is. Like go do it by hand if you've got one or two birds, but if you've got a limit of birds, you need the wax. The wax is just so much better. Is it just and better I learned that in the grasslands. It's is, uh, the Salinas Club in the grasslands is where I learned that trick. Is it better or quicker? It's both. Okay. Yeah, because it's it's quicker. I mean, I suppose you could I suppose you could probably hand pick a teal faster than I could do one through the wax method. Mm. But the problem is you're gonna always gonna have little bits of down that are just really hard to get off. And can, the wax takes all that down off. Can you explain to our listeners how to do that? Sure. So um 
you go to the supermarket and you buy a tamale pot or canning pot and some big pot that you don't care about too much. Don't, don't go overboard on expenses and don't do it in the house. Um, and you get a, you know, portable burner. I, I do it in the garage and then a five gallon bucket. So you've got your tamale pot full of water and then it's heating up and then you've got a five gallon bucket full of water. You could use your slop sink in the garage if you have one. And you want that water to be cold, at least at least cool. So if it's warm out, you might want to put some ice in it. But if it's normal winter temperatures, you're fine. And what you want to do is you want to melt about a finger's thickness of wax on the surface of that water. So what that generally means is if you go to the supermarket and buy that canning wax, like one block for one block is good for like a big old mallard or something, New York made two teal or something. The cheaper way to do it is to go on to Amazon and buy canning wax in bulk and have it sent to you and then smash it into pieces and then you melt that wax. You can reuse the wax as well. So it's not that expensive. Mm. It does cost some money because you do have to buy the wax and you do lose some of it. But if you think about it, um, is it really that much of a big deal considering how much you're spending on ammo and resis mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so you rough pluck the bird. So you pull just the biggest feathers off, you know, the tail, the big feathers on the wings, you know, maybe some of the bigger feathers on the flanks. And then I clip the wingtips. So on most birds, I will keep, well, on all birds, I will keep a little bit more on the wing than I actually want to keep. So it usually means like half of the second digit. And what I mean by the second digit is that's the part of the chicken wings that nobody else wants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like everybody run, everybody reaches for the little drumstick <laughs> yep. and not the, not the one of the two bones. Mm-hmm. The, the one of the two bones is the one I'm, I, I usually cut through halfway through that to leave it as like a kind of an edge or a handle. And you dip the bird in the wax so it's fully covered. I have, we have videos for this on YouTube. So if you, if you YouTube how to pluck a duck and then you see a wax method, that's us. Okay, wait, um, what, what, what's the title of that video? How Is to that, Pluck a Duck. How to Pluck a Duck. Because I thought I was looking that up after reading this, and I was like, man, I didn't. Okay, How to Pluck a Duck. All right. We have two. We have one where it's me sitting in my garage dry plucking a bird, and then there's one with, I think it's Holly, um, wet plucking a bird. What's the, the Is the name of your channel Hank Shaw? Uh, yep, there's mine, and then Holly Heiser, is the, she has the, the wet plucking one. Okay, got it. If you refer to that video, you'll see it all. It's, it's easier to, to show than to, to tell. Okay. Yeah, we'll, but it's we'll, really good. It's really, really good. We'll look that up because that that definitely want to. I just want to. I, I know how it is. It gets crazy during duck season for everybody, and just sometimes you can get a little bit lazy. And like oh, I'll just make you know sausage out of this, or we'll just that's rust what spoonies are for. Yes, right. Spoonies and snow geese and divers and Canada geese are all really good. I mean, I'm not. I don't. I don't hate on poppers or pepper sticks. Those are great. I, but yeah. n- not every bird needs to be made with that. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. that and it's like when that's all you know, it just gets old. It's like there's got to be another way to cook this. You know what I mean? Speaking of spoonie sticks, have you guys ever seen the YouTube video? Hitler is informed that he has to hunt Grey Lodge. Yes. yes it's the I've greatest video that. of all time. <laughs> I got to show Thomas that. I haven't seen that. <laughs> that's the funniest thing that they, uh, yeah it's a, a super california refuge inside joke video but like if anybody listening to this hunts the california refuges google hitler is informed he has time gray lodge it's so funny yeah <laughs> I, I fell over listening to that that was the whoever did that was genius 
genius and is probably, you know, a, a gray, gray lodge hunter. <laughs> Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So, um, what, what's your personal favorite way to cook duck? If you had to pick one way. Skin on breasts, sear the breast so that it's the skin is crispy. Then most of the, but not all the fat is rendered out. Cook the meat medium rare, salt, pepper, lemon. Done. Simple. Super simple. Mm. It's, and you know, you, it, it, there's something amazingly good about that, that you can just works with any duck. You know, it's, it's a good, easy, like a Tuesday night thing. Mm-hmm. So you're you know, just takes, going off a of look. You're not, you're not worried about, you're not checking it with the thermometer or anything. like. No, that. I mean, I've done 10,000 duck breasts. So it's like, yeah. I mean, I could probably be, yeah, I could probably drink a fifth of whiskey and still cook a duck breast right. Mm. <laughs> um, hey, another thing I, I wanted to bring up is um, you've met quite a few interesting people along the way of cooking wild game. Um, I was actually listening to you on Joe Rogan's podcast earlier today. And yeah, that was, was like a good one. Amazing. Yeah, it was, it's just so, so interesting. There's so many things that you guys were talking about, but I, you know, I, you've been with Steve Ranella, Randy Newberg, all these other people. And, and how did, I mean, how did that come about? Were you just, did you put your books out first and then contacted by them or did you know each other already or something like that? Like how did that happen? So I didn't know any of them beforehand. I think once you get into the hunting space, it's kind of a small world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I think the, probably the thing that happened first was the website. I mean, uh, huntgathercook.com is, is the biggest source of wild food web recipes in the web. Like there's well over a hundred duck recipes alone. Oh, wow. And, you know, I've been keeping it up and I post twice a week and I have been for almost 10 years. So it's this, it's this thing that I do that has gotten quite a bit of recognition. And, um, like you'd mentioned, I, I won the James Beard award in 2013 for it, which in the food world is pretty much like the Oscars. Like it's the, it's the biggest food award that you can get. And that drew a fair bit of notice. The books did really well. Um, and yeah, I try really, really hard for my books to be not only accessible, not only interesting, but the thing about the recipes is that when you try my recipes, it's not just me cooking them because I make sure that I have normal humans test every single one of my recipes mm-hmm. before they go in the book. Because think about it. All right. Let me think about this. You shot the one canvas back that you got this whole year. Right. And I'm telling you how to cook this can. It better work because mm-hmm. you're not going to, you can't go to the store and buy another canvas back. Right. So the recipes are airtight and heavily tested by normal everyday cooks, not other chefs. And because it's really important for me to give people recipes that's so let me back up a second. So most people cook duck, you mentioned it, in one of two or three ways, right? So they, they do that because they're they know people will eat it. And they're scared or worried that they're gonna waste this thing that they've spent so much time gathering. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been all you know, think about it. think about a refuge hunt, right? So you got up at two thirty or three in the morning, drove to the refuge got my number or got my resi and, and, you know, you hunt all day and you come back and you got to work, you got to pick the ducks and, and, or there's a lot of work involved. And so you finally, you're given this duck, right? And this is the other thing. Like when you give, 
when you give a nice, pretty plucked mallard to a friend and the friend ruins it, you, you don't get a second mallard. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, as you, the hunter, like you don't want to mess it up, right? Because this is this, it's, a, it's really, it's your trophy, right? Right. And if it's banned, you get two. Yeah. Uh, and so what I try to do is give you different avenues to enjoy that hunt. The, really, the logical conclusion of a hunt is the meal. And I want to make that as good as I can. Mm. Yeah, as everybody should. That's the that's why this new this has just got my brain spinning like in a whole nother level. It's just like, man, it's really it got me excited about cooking duck instead of like and like you said, there's nothing wrong with doing um poppers or, or fajitas or something like that. But now it's like, man, there's a it's like a whole new world of uh, and methods and recipes that I, I didn't even scratch the tiniest of surface, you know? Yeah. I mean, and the other cool thing is you get, you get to really start to enjoy the other parts of the duck besides the breast too. Yes, exactly. Like, like I've never had the, duck skin. I've never had crispy oh, duck that's skin. Amazing. Do you know, you, you know what, I, you know what that, you know, you asked me what my favorite duck recipe is, right? So it's a skin on say mallard medium rare, right? Well, you know why I keep the skin on? Cause that, because basically the duck breast is like a steak and the skin's like bacon. So you basically oh, are eating a steak a... with a hat made of bacon. <sighs> <laughs> you you had me right there. That's it. <laughs> well, what, what's the best eating wild duck? Like, what's your favorite wild duck? It's Which kind one? of a coin flip between um, – there's three, really. I would say wild duck, wood ducks, pintails, and canvasbacks. Huh. Like, those are my consistently never fail, always great ducks. How though with canvas backs, aren't they eating kind of like they're in this a lot of them are in the salt? I mean, I know you said in this book back in the day that they were eating celery mm -hmm. and that's why they were so good, but now that that's gone, the inland all the all the ones you'll see in the grasslands and in the Sac Valley, they're not eating Baltic clams. If you see a canvas back in San Francisco Bay, he might be eating Baltic clams, but he'll still taste good. Hmm. But yes, an inland canvasback, you know, I've, I've shot them from Lake County to uh, Imperial County. They're invariably amazing. Hmm. You were talking about jerky, and last year I actually um, went up north on a little weekend vacation with my family. And in this little tiny mom-pop restaurant we went to, they actually had uh, duck jerky on the menu. Yeah, oh, yeah, I was like, I was kind of caught me off guard, and I asked the waitress, I, I go, duck, duck jerky? You guys make that here? She goes, yeah, the local hunters uh, donate birds, and they actually made uh, duck jerky there and, and sold it. Mm, I, uh, illegal. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's the second <laughs> yeah, time you've been told that. Talks. Yeah. Anyways, it. yeah, who's to say, right? But let, let me just ask. That's you. illegal. <laughs> no, I I know it's illegal, but do you think? I, mean, I just want, well, I just wonder if they were saying that to try to be impressive sounding, and didn't realize that's actually illegal. Okay. Well, I hope there, I hope it wasn't. I mean, a lot of times it just I don't think, know. I think. Well, now what I don't is know. If, I don't is, know if it was a family was, deal. I have no clue. I have no clue. Yeah, because I mean, it was I'll a, tell you, a very small here in Sacramento. What is legal is. So I, I bet they do this in the Valley too. Um, in Sacramento, there's a number of places that you can bring your ducks to a restaurant and then the restaurant will prepare them for you and your friends. And that's legal. You they can can't bring them the there? Duck. Oh yeah. 
But yeah, now, you have to arrange it beforehand. Well, they have mm-hmm. it on the um, menu. No. So no. you got to call it's and just ask. For your, it's just for your group. Hmm. Is there any so, like, places you, you know? Two, that would yeah, that? yeah, absolutely. The We're, best one I know is Frank Fats in Sacramento. Frank Fats. Yeah, it's a Chinese restaurant. So this guy, uh, original, his name was Frank Fat, and uh, he's a Chinese guy, and he started the restaurant in like the late 30s. It's one of the oldest restaurants in all of California, and it's in the capital, so he catered to the legislature, and the legislature has always been associated with duck hunting. So because it's in duck grounds and lobbyists and mm-hmm. rich good. people have had duck clubs forever, yeah, that's good. Um, there's always been this kind of lobbying, hey, Senator or so-and-so, let's go duck hunting and talk about that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always existed. And so this guy, Frank Fat started to say, hey, why don't you have your duck dinner at my place? The restaurant's right on 9th Street. And so that has be, been a thing for like 70 years. Wow. And, and a couple other places do it. Like there's a place called Simon's that does it too. But it tends to be Chinese places, but there are Basque places I know of that'll do it. And you just really have to have – like the restaurant has to either make a policy that we do this or you have to know the owner. But either way, it's totally legal for you and your friends to have a great restaurant dinner of your ducks. Uh, and it's legal for the restaurant to charge you because they're charging for you for the service and the mm. other ingredients. But that restaurant can't put it on the menu. How long do you got to tell them in advance? Uh, I mean, you you have to ask the chef. But like at Frank Fats, you give them to them two days beforehand. So what what part of the duck are they using for that? Whatever you tell them to do. Well, okay, let me ask you this. What would you use? Oh, I'd give them whole ducks. I'd give them giblets and everything and see what they could do. Because, you know, I mean, I like crazy stuff. Bring it, man. I ain't scared. Surprise me. <laughs> so you're saying I, you, you got to have it to him two days in advance to... Oh, yeah, yeah, because they need to prep it and all that kind of I stuff. I got you. Okay. Hmm. So maybe hunt on a Saturday, drop it off, and maybe Wednesday after you're done hunting in the morning, go by and have... They do that. That's the, that's not uncommon. Okay. That's good to know. Wow. Man. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's it's a cool little California cool. thing. That is cool. I know. Well... Hank, man, I I got about a list of things I still wanted to bring up in this podcast, but we're kind of getting close to the time we had talked about. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll be able to come on here again because, boy, we sure would love to have you. I feel like sure. just a wealth, a wealth of knowledge. That Yeah, I'd be happy to. We're trying to put all our brain matter back in our head because <laughs> mine's been blown so many times already. But um, so, so your website is huntgathercook.com. Mm-hmm. It's also on Instagram. It's Hunt Gather Cook, correct? Yep. And you guys follow me I'm on Instagram at Hunt Gather Cook. Um, I do a lot of Instagramming, so that's probably the my main social media. And then uh, I have a Facebook forum, it's a Facebook group called uh, Hunt Gather Cook. Okay. And it's closed, so you have to, so you basically ask you a few questions when you want to be in the group, and it's just really to keep antis and stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, just tell them you heard me on this podcast, and I'll let you in. Oh, perfect. And that's super cool. It's it's people from all over the world who are into wild food, and then and there's zero drama and zero politics. That's so what we need right there. It's a really nice place for people to talk about uh, how to how to process game and fish and and wild plants and all kinds of stuff. And it's just a really cool forum. And then uh, 
those are probably the two social media things I do the most. I am on Twitter and other stuff, but not as not as active. But yeah, Hunter Angler, Gardener Cook, which is huntgathercook.com is my main deal. Okay, and anything else they can find you on? You can find my books wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime, uh, man. You, you, you can buy Amazon. You can buy them on Amazon, or if you want signed copies, you can buy them through my website. Perfect. Oh wow, that'd be cool, man. Yeah. I, I can't. I, this is this is awesome. And guys listening, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, uh, spot, Hank, but we were talking about possibly even hunting together and maybe him cooking some up. So I won't, I won't hold into it. Cause I know how life gets. We all get busy. We get busy. He gets busy. So, but don't be, don't be surprised if you see Dr. Hank, uh, the cook chef of the world <laughs> of waterfowl come on. And that's not the only thing that he does, but anyways, guys, if you want, check us out. Um, Mid Valley mercenaries on YouTube, and we're going to be putting out all kinds of hunting videos and hopefully a lot of cooking videos. Now you're going to, I might not let Hank see it though. I don't want him to laugh at me and my cooking duck, but I'm going to The do... longest journey starts with the first step. <laughs> <laughs> so, so nice to talk to you, man. We appreciate you coming on, Hank. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Let's, uh, I'm, I actually just get me excited for duck season. Oh, it's I, getting close. I'm going till hunting this, uh, actually leaving tomorrow to go to Nebraska. So. Yeah, I'm going to be in Texas on September 15th. Well, good luck to you. Yeah, you too. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. <laughs>